0: We are going to begin. I'm looking forward to speaking on the new heavens and new earth tomorrow, but we're still speaking about this. And what we just shared about the second coming of Christ, the illuminaries being dwindled, that's, again, Matthew 24, verse 29 and 30 says exactly the same thing that Zechariah 14 says. Zechariah just sums it up in a shorter verse. And again, that goes along with Acts chapter 2, Revelation chapter 6, and Joel. So all of it happens at the same time, which is amazing. Now, we know that the nations are going to turn, and although they've been against the Antichrist and an invasion of of Jerusalem, and it's all against him, they turn. They turn all of a sudden, and they go against Christ. And so we want to emphasize that because that's what Revelation 17, 14 says. They'll wage war against the Lamb, right? We've read it already. But they will be destroyed. Turn to Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 17. Revelation 19, verse 17. I love the expression he's king of kings and lord of lords. Verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried out with a loud voice saying to the birds which fly in the mid heaven, come and assemble for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized with the false prophet who performed signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with fire and brimstone. They're the first ones to go to the lake of fire. At Revelation chapter 20 after the millennium. They will all, all unbelievers, their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, will go into the lake of fire. I'm just sharing that at this point. And it says, the rest were killed with the sword. But the sword is the word of God, which came from his mouth, or mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with his flesh. Those that deny Christ, the very word will judge them. And the sword of the word of God is the thing that judges the lost. So symbology is used here. But the little recognition of Christ coming back from heaven is what is going to destroy these individuals. First of all, there is going to be associated with them certain things mentioned in Zechariah. Turn to Zechariah again, chapter 14. Zechariah 14. This happened in the Old Testament. What's going to happen to these armies that set themselves against the God of heaven, against Christ? There's going to be a plague that comes upon them. But before the plague, there's a massive confusion of the armies. Men can't get along with one another. You think the kings of the north are going to get along with the kings of the south? Or the kings of the south are going to get along with the kings of the east? There's going to be a massive confusion that's going to take place. And it just says here, verse 13, It came about in that day that a great panic from the Lord will fall on them, and they will seize one another's hand, and the hand of one will be lifted against the hand of the other. This is true in the Old Testament. Gideon had 300 men, and guess what happened? Nothing. He didn't do anything. He trusted the Lord, had 300 men, and the army that came came. Against Gideon, Gideon against that army, the Lord caused confusion. They fought with one another, and that was the end of the battle. In the days of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat was a godly king of Judah, and armies came against him, And the armies that came against him began to fight with one another and consume one another until they were destroyed. God's going to send a confusion with these armies and they're not going to trust one another. They're going to fight against one another. But that's not the main way they're going to be destroyed. They're going to be destroyed by a plague from the Lord. And this is like Hiroshima. This is just like Hiroshima. Verse 12 of Zechariah 14. Now this will be the plague. "...which the Lord will strike all the peoples who have gone to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets. Their tongue will rot in their mouth." And you just go, wow. Verse 14 and 15. "...Judah will also fight at Jerusalem, as I said earlier. The wealth of all surrounding nations will be gathered gold, silver, and garments in great abundance." So also like the plague will be the plague on the horse, the mule, the camel, the donkey, and the cattle that are with them in those camps. Everything associated with these invading armies will be consumed, whether it be food supplies or whether it be pack animals. And believe me, the terrain that we're talking about in the Arabian Desert and the mountains of Israel is very rough. And some of it is going to have to be traversed with things like mules and donkeys maybe even horses, and so it's not just going to be technical warfare, but there'll be warfare mentioned in the book of Revelation that is very much technical, and I'm not going to even get into that because that's a whole other subject, but I just want to say the Bible's very concise in what it says about the end and what it says about the second coming of Christ, and Revelation 19 is where you go to see him coming back with the armies of heaven And we're associated with him, we're wearing robes, clean and white, and we're called the army of the Lord, along with the angels as well. Now, we're going to move away from the second coming of Christ into the millennium. And key passage on the millennium, you're going to have a lot of this uh, in notes. But since we're going to be mostly in the book of Isaiah, some of it, I'll just tell you to turn to Isaiah. When we talk about the millennium, it has been denied through the centuries that there's going to be anything such as the millennium. Augustine wrote about the city of God, and he didn't believe in the millennium. In fact, some people believe we're living in the millennium right now. (laughs) If this is the millennium, what's hell like? Okay, I, I... I I can't even believe that people would believe that. They actually believed at one point in church history before World War I that we were going to become so good and Christianity was going to spread throughout the world that we were going to bring in the kingdom, then Christ would return. The Bible does not teach anything like that, but that's what people believe. So there's a lot of confusion on Bible prophecy, a lot of it. And I don't have all the truth. And a lot of men would disagree with some of the things I've said, and others would be right there with me. A lot are right there with me, but we're we're getting away from the teaching of the second coming. Some churches will not talk about it. They will not talk about it. It's too controversial. Beloved, we need to be involved in knowing what the Bible says, not what the news media says about the days we're living in, and trust God's word, not what they say about it, because the, the media is biased. The only media that I've found that's not biased is what is called News Nation. Anybody watching it? Anybody watch, You watch News Nation? Uh, I don't know if you can get it on Direct TV. you can get it on Dish, and it is neutral. They have both sides all the time, but they tell you the news the way they did 50 years ago. They just give you the news, you make up your own mind. But liberal media, and conservative media is all over the board. Back to the subject at hand. The Reformers did not believe in the millennium. The majority of them did not. Uh, they believed Israel was destroyed, that the church replaced Israel, as I said earlier on. But listen to these promises. You have them in your notes. 2 Samuel 7 A promise made to David about the future. And it was not only about David and Solomon, it was about the Son of God, about the future kingdom that would be part of this world and going into the new heavens and new earth. In verse 12 through 14 of 2 Samuel 7, for those that might not have the notes, I hope you have them. When your days are complete, David... And you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up a descendant after you who will come forth from you and will establish his kingdom. And I will do that. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That's not true of Solomon. I will be a father to him. In a sense, he was to Solomon. But in a real sense, obviously, to the Son of God. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me when he commits Iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men, again talking to Solomon. Now verse 16, your house and your kingdom, David, shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. But it would only come through the Messiah. Because for the last 2,900 years after the days of Solomon, when the kingdom was divided between Rehoboam and Jeroboam, There's been no Israel the way we've known it in biblical history of the 12 tribes being together. Ten tribes went into captivity under Assyria in 721. And then the two tribes that were left went into captivity in 586. And they were spread out all over the world. Deuteronomy says they'd be sold in ships in Egypt and be spread all over the world. And that's the way they've been for unbelief reasons. This is a promise though. And the timing of the promise is all important because I wrote in your notes, verse 19. And yet this was significant in your eyes. He's praying to the Lord about this promise. Oh, Lord God, for you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. He knew this was a promise way in the future. And this is the custom of man, oh, Lord God. Now, what did Jesus teach about this? In the announcement made to Mary upon the birth of Christ, Luke 1, 31 through 33 is also in your notes. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means Savior. He will be great and will be called the what? The Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, whose throne was in Jerusalem, who was over the nation of Israel, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, meaning 12 tribes, because Jacob was the father of 12 tribes, forever, and his kingdom will have no end. It will begin in the millennium, but it will go into the new heavens and new earth. And you just go, wow, how can people deny this? How can people say there is no millennium? Revelation 20 makes it clear six times he uses the term a 1,000 years. Hitler used the 1,000-year Reich. Hitler knew something about the Bible. He was so involved in the occult, and the men associated with him were involved in the occult. Once in a while, you see on uh, what Newsmax, you'll see a program on Hitler. If you get a chance to watch any of this, how he rose to power and how the occult was involved and his rise to power. Even the sign of Buddhism was really the swastika. It is amazing stuff. I love history. I love to get involved in all this stuff. But you need to understand what we're talking about here. And so we want to just go on with this idea, and we want to turn to the book of Jeremiah concerning the millennium. Jeremiah and the promises. I can't give many of them, but I just want you to turn to Jeremiah 32. You can write this down that this is regathering of Jewish people being regathered, Jeremiah 32. I just chose selective passages because I've got a lot about them being regathered. Verse 36 through 40 of Jeremiah 32. Present judgment, verse 36. Now therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning this city of which you say, it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon with sword, And famine and by pestilence, that's 586. Also mentioned wild beasts in other passages. Behold, I will gather them out of the lands to which I have driven them, talking about Israel, in my anger, in my wrath, and in great indignation. And I will bring them back to this place and make them dwell in safety. And right now, Israel's an armed camp. You talk about the Second Amendment, Jews are armed. The whole nation of Israel, which is very small and insignificant right now, they're armed. They have weapons. In fact, in our church, my people are, some of them are armed. That's the way, that's the day we're living. And a lot of people have the right in Kern County to carry arms. In fact, the police and sheriff department is all for it. They're all for innocent, law abiding people protecting those that are innocent, law abiding citizens that have no protection. So, this is an issue. These people are going to have peace. They're going to have safety. Uh, They're going to be God's people, it says in verse 38. They're going to dwell in safety. They'll be my people. I will be their God, verse 39. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with the Jewish people that I will not turn away from them to do them but to do them good, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. God does it all. He just does it all. Not only this, but there's a covenant. Turn to Jeremiah 31, just back. The reason why I'm having you turn is because we're in one book. I don't want you to turn too much. Jeremiah 31 through 37. Let me just read it to you. God makes promises that he never breaks. And that's what this is all about. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, ten tribes, and with the house of Judah, two tribes, bringing them back together. Ezekiel talks about them being two sticks that are brought together as one stick. That's never happened up to this point for 2,900 years. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day When I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, verse 32. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Are they going to do anything? Absolutely not. I will put my law within them. I'll put it within them. Just supernaturally like he does with 144,000 during the first part of the tribulation. But this is the millennium. He's just going to put their life. Can you imagine knowing the word of God perfectly? That's what he's talking about. He's going to put the word of God in their hearts. I will write it on their heart at the end of verse 33. I will be their God. They shall be my people. They will not teach again. Each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord. They will all know me supernatural act of God. That's what he did when he saved us. None of us deserved it. That's why it's called grace. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, I will forgive their iniquity and I, their sin I will remember no more. And then he makes this promise. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light for the day and the fixed order moon and stars of light by night, who stirs up the sea so that waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If the fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease. He bases his promise on his fixed order. That only changes at the second coming of Christ, only temporarily. In the millennium, there'll still be the fixed order. And then he he gives this promise. He says, thus says the Lord, verse 37, if the heavens above can be measured, which they can't, They can't. They can't measure them. They're they're infinite. They're eternal. They they don't end, and it's just beyond our comprehension. God is eternal. They can't measure the heavens. The foundations of the earth searched out below. Then I will also cast off the offspring of Israel, for in all they have done, declares the Lord. They deserve to be cast off, but he says, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to write my law on their hearts. Everybody's going to know me from the least to the greatest. Beloved, the only way we ever came to know Christ is because the Spirit of God just drew us to himself. He convicted us of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. John 16, verses, I think it's verse 11 through 16 or 8 through 11, I forget. Wow. You say, okay, I believe this because God's promises are irrevocable. If he loved you when you were an enemy, Romans chapter 5, how much more now that you're his children, verse 10? He loves us with a love that cannot be understood. We generally love because people love us. But he loves us even when we're enemies, Romans 5, 10. How much more does he love us now that we're his children? We've always got to remember these things. Romans 11, verse 25 and 29, I'm sure are in your notes. I want you to know, brethren, he's talking about the Jews in relation to his burden for his people in Revelation 9 through 11. And he says, I want you to know, brethren, I don't want you to be uninformed about the mystery. There's a mystery that was never revealed before, but now it's being revealed to the Romans and to us as believers. So that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So all Israel will be saved, all true Israel, all true Jews who recognize their Messiah. Just as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob, the 12 tribes. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That's what he did for us. He gave us the gift of salvation. He called us to himself. It's a package deal in Romans chapter 8. From the standpoint of the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they're beloved for the sake of the fathers because the promises were made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Joseph went down to Egypt and they formed a nation over 430 years. The gifts and callings of God in verse 29 are irrevocable. People say you can lose your salvation. Oh, really? You never earned it. (laughs) How can you lose something you never learned? I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. John chapter 10, verse 28. And it goes on to talk about he's in the hand of the Father, and we're in the hand of the Father and the Son. Who can pluck them out of the Son of God's hand or the Father's hand? And in the Greek, it's a double negative. It's main, main. It means They will absolutely never, never perish. (laughs) Beloved, that's a promise. He that hath begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, the church is going to be perfected. If you're a member of God's church, you will be perfected until the day of Christ, the rapture of the church. Or for believers in the tribulation, time of the second coming. The book of Isaiah is so clear on the subject that we're going to talk about. So let's go to Isaiah, chapter 2. Key chapters in the book of Isaiah, if you want to write them down, because we're in Isaiah, you won't have to turn anyplace else but the book of Isaiah. I'll give them to you. Write down chapter 2. Chapter 2 of Isaiah. Write down chapter 11. There will only be portions of these chapters, and write down Isaiah 65. Now, if you want to write verses down, I'll give them to you as I give each section. So we're going to Isaiah chapter 2. What's the millennium going to be like? This is where I kind of have to race, but I'm just going to read it to you and make running commentary like I do on Wednesday nights to a survey class, which is actually Bible analysis. Verse 2 of Isaiah 2. What's going to happen? All nations will turn to the Lord after a second coming in the millennium. In the last days, the mountain, and mountains in Scripture refer to kingdoms. It's very clear from the book of Daniel. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief among the mountains and raised above lesser kingdoms or lesser nations, the hills. And all nations will stream to it. Jerusalem will be a capital of the world. If Christ is returning to Jerusalem as Zechariah 14 and Matthew chapter 24 is a center of his attention as he returns to the Mount of Olives to place his feet there. Then why do we try and write these passages off that it has nothing to do with Israel? Ridiculous interpretation of the word of God. And you say these men are scholarly. I don't call them scholarly. They are tearing out pages of scripture that relate to God's people, His chosen people. If we're chosen, why would we not think that they're chosen? There's always been a remnant of Jews who have believed, looking forward to Christ, now looking back on Christ. So all nations are going to stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob, to the temple that will be rebuilt probably during the millennial kingdom. I used to think maybe it's going to be refurbished. It's going to be cleansed of all the sin associated with Antichrist. But it just, Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48, it just sounds like they're going to rebuild it. It doesn't sound like it's just, It probably the temple will be destroyed and the new one be, be put in its place. But they're going to go up to the house of the Lord, the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and we may walk in his paths, and the law will go forth from Zion. And you say, why would the law go forth? Why would there be all these things that talk about sacrifices, Levitical priesthood, and all the feast days and everything for the Jewish people? Why would they observe all that? They're going to understand finally what they never knew before, that all those are a picture of Christ. It's like having giant memorials all the time, year after year, through the millennium, and you just go, wow. Wow. And the Jews are going to finally get what they should have gotten in the Old Testament. But for them, they were looking forward. It's easy for us looking back. We understand it. They didn't understand it. They're going to want to be taught. I love it when believers are excited and they want to learn. Because so many believers are just content with being saved. Attending church, Sunday school, they need to have a passion for the Word of God. That's just not my opinion. The Word of God teaches that over and over and over again for believers to be grounded in truth. Christ is going to set up perfect justice here. It says the word of the Lord is going to go forth from Jerusalem and he will judge between the nations. He'll be the only one, the only arbitrator that can judge among the nations and the disputes that will happen during the millennium. And he will render decisions for many peoples. It won't be about human government anymore, failings of human government. It will be about those that Christ has commissioned to be over the government of God, like David and like the apostles what's going to happen. And there's going to be perfect peace. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. They're going to give up war. They're not even going to be trained for it anymore. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and they'll never again learn war. There'll be no military. There'll be rebellion at the end of the millennium, but there'll be no military, no training during that time, no threat of war. Perfect peace but the underseething of rebellious people, if they come out publicly, we'll find out that they're going to pay the price for public rebellion against Christ. So turn to Isaiah chapter 11. So that was Isaiah 2, 1 through 4. Now Isaiah 11, 4 through 10 is similar. Isaiah eleven four 4 through 10. And that's also not in your notes, so I'm giving it to you. as just an add-on. God's relationship with mankind is going to be absolutely restored in an awesome way, and there's going to be harmony among all God's creatures. After the flood, man was alienated from animals, and animals had a fear of man. This harmony is going to be restored. I get so, I look at this passage and I think about Ruth when she was young, and I probably even now, she loves gorillas. Do you know in in Revelation 11, you can go up to any animal and have a relationship with that animal? You have a relationship with your dog or cat or some pet you have now? Just think about what it's going to be like in the millennium. And we'll be transformed. And Old Testament saints will be transformed. So we'll be seeing human beings that are alive, but we are transformed. We're like the resurrection of Christ, where he can eat fish. Uh, They can put their hand into his side. Or their finger into his hand after his resurrection. We're going to be resurrected. But we're going to see all this. And people are going to see us in our transformed body. It it is absolutely a mind blower. But this restoration of God's kingdom, so to speak, is given to us in verse. Well, actually, I could go through verse 4 through 10. But I've commented on this. So let's go down to verse 6. And the wolf will lie down with the lamb. What wolf would lie down with a lamb? I had a high-bred timber wolf, 85% timber wolf, and she was 15%. I'm getting my percentages right. Malamute. And people would look at me walking down the street, and she was so loving and so gentle. She could, put, you could, she could take your hand and put her, her mouth around it and not hurt you at all, not even leave a mark. And she was so submissive, she'd put her head between my legs just to show her submission to her master. And Elisha used to take her to Lake Isabella, and she'd go swimming. And the kids knew this dog that was really more of a timber wolf. And people just said, that looks like a timber wolf. Well, it's pretty much a timber wolf. Can you imagine going up to a lion and petting it? Uh, this, This is what the Scripture's talking about. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And the little boy will lead them. And the cow and the bear will graze. Hey, Ruth, Anne, and Ray had a bear a, a bear in their tree where they live. <laughs> you know, kind of a scary experience. Elizabeth goes to work at this man's house to clean his house. His wife died. He, she took care of his wife. And there's bears. He says, be careful. When you go to your car, the, there's two bears now. They could come up to you. Well, You fear them today, but then you'll just pet them. You'll just pet them. I can't wait. I've always, like my daughter, thought about gorillas. I don't know why, but I can't wait to go up to a gorilla, give it a big hug. And I know some people that are like gorillas already, but come on, you guys, wake up, you know? The fact of the matter is the young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. They'll go back to being non-carnivorous. The nursing child will play in the hole of a cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand into the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And just say, wow. (laughs) Now, let's go to Isaiah 19. Isaiah 19, there's going to be the salvation of nations that once were monotheistic way back in ancient history, even maybe before the days of Abraham. These nations were monotheistic. Remember Job, who was supposed to be associated with Abraham's time, came out of Ur of the Chaldees, his three friends who traveled to comfort him when he was afflicted by Satan, and he did not curse God. They were all monotheistic, all of them. So what does it say in verse 19 of chapter 19 of Isaiah, and we're going to have to close in just a few minutes here. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord near its border, and it will become a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt, for they will cry to the Lord because of their oppressors, and he will send them a savior and a champion, and he will deliver them. Thus the Lord will make himself known to Egypt, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day. They will even worship with sacrifice and offering in the millennium and will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking but healing. So they will return to the Lord. That's part of the history that brings them back to the Lord. And he will respond to them and will heal them. And in that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrians will come into Egypt and the Egyptians into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third party with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. That's why I wanted to give you that map that I never gave you. Because you need to see the Assyrian Empire. They're going to be God's people. That stretches all the way from ancient Elam to the borders of Egypt, okay? Let me tell you who's involved in that and the grace of God. If you look at the ancient Assyria Empire and the glory of its power, these are the nations that were under its domain. Iran. God will have grace on Iran. Iraq, Syria, just above Israel. So you're moving from the east and then you're moving north. Lebanon. Lebanon at one point when I did this study from a book years ago, probably written in the 60s or 70s, half of Lebanon was Christian and half was Muslim. I don't know what it is today, but they'll be part of that. Saudi Arabia, where Sinai is. And Sinai has fenced in Jebba Musa, the mountain of God, and they won't allow anybody in it, but it has carvings on the rocks of a golden calf or calves. That's where the people worship. And the mountaintop is burnt like fire hit the top of uh, Mount Jebba Musa. And the Saudi Arabians have fenced it off and protected it because they don't want people to believe in the Bible per se. They honor Abraham certain patriarchs, but they don't want Judaism to be supported by a mountain called Musa. Wow, Jordan will be a part of that. And then the northeastern part of Egypt. Beloved, that's what the Word of God has to say. There'll be extended lifetimes. Turn to Isaiah 65. I'm going to take a few minutes here. Isaiah 65. And I'll just list some of the things that are going to happen. I'm turning too far. Isaiah 65, if I ever get there, I'm just turning too slow. Isaiah 65, verse 20. No longer will there be any infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100. You go, what? A youth at age 100? The one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought to be accursed. There's your rebellion. Somebody that dies at 100 years of age is thought to be accursed because they more than likely rebelled against the Lord openly during his reign that is with a rod of iron. They will thought to be accursed. They will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit. And they will not plant and another eat. In other words, they don't have to worry about losing their property to predators. Their vineyards their houses. They don't have to worry. Be perfect peace for them. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen one will wear out the work of their hands. The life of a tree. We got the giant sequoia redwoods probably about an hour from our house. People come to see them. Some of them date back to the time of Christ. They are massive. You can walk inside of them. You can have probably four or five people standing in one of these great cedars or redwoods. Same would probably be true of the cedars of Lebanon like the redwoods, like the sequoias we're going to have these extended lives. And I say we, we are going to have them because we're transformed. They're going to have them because during that time it will be like being in the Garden of Eden again. And Adam and and Eve lived over 900 years in a perfect environment. And you say, lifespans are going to be increased. And... Living waters are going to be associated with this like they are in Zechariah 14.8. And I'm not going to go into living waters. I'll get into that uh, some other time. I will just say this about the living waters. They are mentioned in Zechariah 14.8. And in the millennium, what happens is when the temple's rebuilt, there's a river of life. It's called living waters. It flows out of the temple. We talked about this last night, didn't we, Private. When you measure the water that's flowing to the east toward the Dead Sea, it goes out from underneath the temple and trickles out toward the south, toward the Arabo, which is desert. And it goes to the Dead Sea and it purifies the Dead Sea. And that whole area in Zechariah, it also goes to the west of the Mediterranean. So you have this living waters with trees on both sides of the living water. And fishermen fishing like the fish of the great sea, the Mediterranean. You can catch all these fish. And on both sides are trees that are full of fruit. And the leaves are for healing. And the fruits are changed every month. That's not only in the new heavens and new earth in a different way that we'll talk about tomorrow. It is in the millennium. And who's it a picture of? Jesus said to the woman at the well, If you knew who was speaking to you, you would have asked of me and I would have given you living water. So many things picture Christ in the Word of God. They're literal, they're real, there's a real river, there's literal trees, but the picture is always to remind mankind about God's provision through Christ in every age, beloved. Now, you know what? I feel like I've only taught once, and I know I've taught twice. See, that's what's wrong with me. I'm 71 going on senality. But we're going to open up for questions, and I'll try and answer any question you give me, and please don't hold back, and I'll go short. I won't get wordy. My wife told me last night, guy, you're getting wordy. And I told you guys I'm very afraid of her. So I listen. I listen to her because she rebukes me in a tender sort of a way. Get your act together, Rimstead. No. She's very good to her husband, but she is wise, And women tend to guide us a little bit because this thing can get out of control, right? The tongue no man can tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison, James 3.8. So,
1: questions. All right, questions. Here we go. Let's go. We covered a lot of material. Rapture, tribulation, great tribulation, second coming, the millennial reign of Christ, which is a 1,000 years. Which, by the way, very interesting, to be a teenager for a hundred years, can you imagine that? So in light of what you have taught us this weekend, and thank you very much,
0: how should we begin or continue to live today? How should we continue to live in the light of what we've shared? Application. You know, application means that First John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 um, The idea that now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but when he appears, we shall be like him. Every one that hath this hope in him does what? Purifies himself as Christ is pure. I'd urge you today to really love the word of God, to obey it. Ephesians 4 talks about everything from anger to abusiveness to stealing Uh, To working with your own hands. Uh, The idea of let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth in verse 29. It goes into putting all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Why do I say that? Because those are character changes. We want to become more like Christ. 1 John 2.6 says, The one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. Boy, is that hard. Because the Spirit of God is wrestling against the flesh, the flesh against the Spirit. Galatians 5.17 makes it clear. The, The flesh sets itself against the Spirit. The Spirit against the flesh. So that you might not do the things you please. But guess what the formula of victory is? The verse before. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. Beloved, we just have to give ourselves to the Lord. We have to be excited about our Heavenly Father, we have to have a relationship where God, yes, is my Savior, but he is my best friend. And I talk to him all the time. You don't have a prayer life? Be ashamed. The Apostle Paul in the armor of the believer in chapter 6 of Ephesians, what does he say? He lists all the armor and the word of God being the sword, a two-edged sword. And then he says, pray for me pray for me. And he goes on to describe how we need to talk to the commander-in-chief. And we need to do that unceasingly. And 1 Thessalonians 5 says that we are to rejoice, always give thanks, and pray without ceasing. Beloved, we ought to be concerned about other people. When I'm concerned about other people, my eyes and focus are on you, not on my problems. The best way to overcome our life and our preoccupation with our own sin and sin nature is to get our eyes on the people of God and know them and pray for them, especially loved ones that don't know Christ. People are going to come to know Christ. You know, uh, a side issue with this, this is a side issue, but I believe that anybody can be saved in the tribulation. Now my wife is laughing. See, she knows. Anybody can be saved. Why? In the first three and a half years, a lot of people are going to be left behind. The delusion does not happen, a great lie that the people are going to believe on earth until Antichrist sits in the temple of God. So people that you've been telling them about Christ, telling them that the rapture could happen at any time, it could, any time, I believe they can be saved. And most films are going to portray that. I didn't always believe that because I was confused about the delusion that only comes when Antichrist is accepted. Now, the other interesting part of that is when you look at this, people rebel against human government. There are plenty of people today that are rebelling. Some of us aren't too happy, are we? But they rebel. So what if people during the last three and a half years don't receive the mark? And there's an underground economy and people protect them the way people did in Holland and, and Sweden and Denmark and other places, even within Germany, protected the Jewish people. Amazing that those people who rebel, never receive the mark, won't worship the image, but survive the tribulation period. They come to know Christ because they have that opportunity because they've never received the mark of the beast, worshiped Antichrist or his image. Now, that was off the subject. Forgive me, honey. You've already answered my question (laughs) with that little side note.
1: (laughs) Okay. Any other questions? Okay. Joyce.
2: I was just wanting to clarify that the people that are going to be in the millennium are not Christians that were raptured. It's no. just those that were saved during the tribulation.
0: Exactly. Right? And then those of Daniel chapter twelve one and 2 that are raised after the time of Jacob's trouble because they've been promised a kingdom. So they're going to go and transformed into that kingdom that was promised to David. And that's, that's the arrangement that's clearly taught in Scripture. No, no doubt there, except for those who don't believe there's going to be a millennium and don't believe there's any future for Israel, which is, uh, it's shameful. I'm just saying the interpretation of the word of God on these are basic things that, that are just true. You'd have to rip page after page after page after the, out of the Old Testament if you don't believe in the future of Israel. They're God's chosen people. They even have the adoption of son. It says that in the Old Testament, that they have the adoptions of sons like we do.
1: Quick clarification, just to make sure we're on the same page. Um, If I do believe the Bible teaches there is a rapture, um, because Revelation 3 to 19, 3 to 18, church is not mentioned. But believers who have been raptured and meet Christ in the air, we will come back with the Lord. Amen. And we will be with the Lord as he is ruling and reigning in Jerusalem during the thousand year reign, correct?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Okay. So so I think there's, I, I wanted to follow up on that because just to make sure that we're clear there. Yeah. Joyce, here, let me give you this mic here.
2: So in Revelation 20, it doesn't say that the believers that were raptured will be part of it. It talks about, those that were saved during the, um, those that were beheaded right. by Christ, right. they would be the ones that would reign.
0: Yeah, but remember, we come back and, and with Christ and we're in our glorified bodies. The Jews are raised from the Old Testament period that are righteous. But we all go into millennium, but we've already been transformed. So we have a heavenly kingdom in a sense, but we will be part of the millennium. And revel one of the churches of Revelation makes it very clear. And let me read this. Um, Let's see. I want to find the right passage. Okay. When you're talking about the overcomers in the church at Thyatira, and I want to make sure that I've got the right passage on that. Uh, Yeah. Okay. In Revelation chapter 2, you can write this down if you want to. But let me read the whole context, verse 24 of Revelation 2. But I say to the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes, which is said in every one of the churches, he who overcomes, he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. That's to the overcomers. And he says, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter uh, potter, and broken to pieces. As I also have received authority from my father. So what he's saying, we are going to rule and reign along with Christ. The authority he's been given by the father, we will also have that same authority. Everybody understand what I'm reading? Let me read it again. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds unto the end, talking to the church, to him I will give authority over the nations, to the one, the, uh, those overcomers. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessel of a potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. The authority I've received from my Father, I'm going to grant it to believers who are overcomers. Turn to Matthew 19. I haven't read this. I need to read it to you about the apostles. In the New Testament, the apostles would be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That also brings in the New Testament believer into the picture. Matthew 19, never get there, verse 27. Then Peter said to him, behold, we have left everything, Lord, and followed you. What then shall we there be for us? And sometimes I have trouble reading because I have so many notes and so many colors and everything's blending together, it's hard for me to read my own Bible sometimes. Verse 28, And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me, meaning the twelve apostles, authors of the New Testament, in the regeneration, the renewal of the earth, not the new heavens and new earth, but the renewal of the earth, when the Son of Man will sit on his what? Glorious throne. You also will sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And you go, wow. The apostles of the Lamb are going to be involved in ruling in the millennium. Like David, the Old Testament king, is going to be involved in ruling in the millennium under Christ. So we, according to Revelation, as overcomers, and just focusing on one promise to one church, but we're overcomers, are going to rule and reign with Christ The same authority that was given to him by the Father is given to us because we're going to co-reign with Christ. What does that mean for you? That means I have an incentive to live for God because I don't know what my position is going to be in the millennium. I'll be transformed, but what is God going to do for me? Am I going to stand around and play a harp? Man, you talk about false teachings. We're just going to sing and worship. We're going to be involved in the millennium Indirectly, the Jewish people, it's for them, but we'll be involved in transformed bodies. And so will Old Testament saints. It's going to be a massive endeavor. So I hope that answers the question, but there's just so many implications for us being involved, but being transformed. And we'll have
1: a role. Real quick follow-up question on that since we're talking about it. Um, So you would say, based on Revelation 19... um, Christ coming back on the white horse where it says in verse 14 of Revelation 19, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. You believe that those are redeemed believers.
0: Yeah, because of the context of that chapter. Yeah. If you look before that, I read the verses where it says the bride has made herself ready. She's adorned in clean linen, which are the righteous acts of the saints. We're coming back with him. Because if you believe pre-trib rapture, or even if you believe mid-trib, which I'm, I'm not going to get into because I just I don't have the time to get into it to explain why I don't believe mid-trib. But mid-trib is kind of a faulty view because of the 144,000 being witnesses in the first three and a half years. Well, where are we? Why aren't we doing the witnesses? If we're left on earth and, and the rapture comes in the middle of the tribulation before the days of God's wrath, which is it's called pre-wrath, rapture, then why, why are the 144,000 doing all the witnessing and we're not even mentioned? It just doesn't make any sense. Pre-trib is really the logical view from all the passages we have, even from Lot being in Sodom and Gomorrah and being taken out before judgment falls. Now, that could be pre-wrath, but there's also a lag time. We don't know what the lag time's gonna be. Enoch was taken 600 years before the flood, but yet he was a part of that generation. There's no doubt about that. And guess what? Enoch's taken. Why is he taken? Why didn't God just let him die? And why is it that Noah and the Jews go through the tribulation, but we're taken out of it? I mean, there's just pictures that I can't dogmatically prove, but they sure make a lot of sense. And when Lot flees from Sodom and Gomorrah to go into the cities of the plain, he goes to Zoar. Well, he's the chief at the gate of the city of Sodom. People in Zoar know him. He becomes scared that he shouldn't be in Zoar. People might say, what happened? What, what are you doing here? Why is there smoke from the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? We don't know what he thought, but he got scared and went to the original location, which was the mountains, to escape the judgment. There was a lag time between him leaving and getting to the mountains and God destroying. So is there going to be a lag time between the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation? And it would be part of putting the world to sleep before the three and a half years begin. A lot of division on this or a lot of conversation about we don't know. We okay,
1: we've got another question.
3: My question has to do with, with new, Jer- new Jerusalem. Uh, in John's vision, he saw New Jerusalem coming down out of the heavens. Right. Is that happening at the beginning of the millennium or at the end of the millennium? It's, it's
0: at the end of the millennium because the new heavens and new earth flee away at the great white throne. In Revelation 20, it says at the same time... The wicked of all ages are being judged at the great white throne. Guess what? It says there's a new heavens and new earth. So, corresponding to get rid of all wickedness and judging all wickedness at the great white throne, then there's a new heavens and new earth wherein only dwells righteousness. As far as we know, there's no birth. There's nothing going to happen in eternity in the new heavens and new earth. We'll all be together, millions upon millions upon millions of people from the Old and New Testament. I mean, it's unbelievable to think about the crowds. You talk about crowds at a stadium. I used to love to go to Candlestick Park and watch the Niners play. My brother and I went in the days when you could afford to go to a football game. A lot of people... But can you imagine millions upon millions, and angels are called myriads of myriads, ten thousands of ten thousands. I can't even imagine. I, I'd like to believe I'm getting off the train <laughs> at the rapture and seeing a lot of people I've loved, and they're waiting for me. But I don't know if that's the way it's going to be, because we're all going to know each other really well, right? We're, we're going to be known, as we, or we are known as we have been known. And I, I just can't fathom it all. Uh, but I hope. And if you knew everything, you wouldn't hope. You'd know everything. God only wanted us to know certain things. He says, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children, Deuteronomy 29, 29. I am so anxious to see everything I don't understand or can't fill in all the details because revelation is a skeleton. You're talking about... Hey, seven years, for instance, church history, then seven years, then a thousand years, then into eternity, confined to 22 chapters in the Word of God? That's a skeleton. And so I'm anxious, and you should be too, and that's why we purify ourselves. When he told the Thessalonian church this, they were the model church of the New You You listen to any scholar talk about the Thessalonian church or the Philippian church, all in Macedonia, or you know, uh, Berea, they, they search the word daily to see if these things were true. They were in the word of God. All those churches of Macedonia are special. But the Thessalonian church, by scholars, is called the model church of the New Testament. You want to understand how people love his coming. You get into 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and then you just, you rejoice. You thank, And it says all the time. That's God's will for us, Beloved. That we rejoice and we give him thanks, and that we pray without ceasing. That's his will
1: for us. Okay, got another question.
2: Good morning. Uh, referring to Matthew chapter twenty-four verses twenty-three through twenty-eight. Right. Uh, it talks about not believing the uh, the false Christ and the false prophets because they'll perform signs and wonders to right. mislead you. Right. So. I guess my question is, what if you are, God forbid, misled, like you are tricked by them, but you firmly believe that they are performing in the um, act of God or like they're performing for God in the name of God? Would you suffer any repercussions for? Being
0: oh, misled? boy. I'm telling you, if you're going to believe in false Christ and false prophets, you're in the time of the Great Tribulation, right? Right. If you believe that, why wouldn't you just receive the mark on your hand or in your forehead? And you could worship other, other gods. You could worship men that proclaim themselves to be God. Satan wins anyway. Right. So you know what? It's unbelievable, but in the beginning of the tribulation, there are going to be false prophets. And, and even in one of the signs of pre-trib, uh, is there's going to be false prophets. Even during the time of the great tribulation, there's going to be false prophets. You'd say, why would Satan be divided? He doesn't care how he gets you. It's not about it's not about who you worship just so you don't worship Jesus that's what it's about during the tribulation period that's the great deception that, that men's eyes will be blinded because they did not receive the love of the truth to be saved that's what second Thessalonians chapter 2 ends up saying they had opportunities but they kept questioning and they kept getting involved in either the antichrist and his false prophet or they got involved with other so-called Christ's and false prophets, and they were just misled. You know, this is where man is so divided, they don't even know what to worship. There are so many different kinds of worship in this world. Satan loves it all, as long as you don't believe in Christ.
1: All right, another question. Cody.
2: So, kind of going off his question. So, would you say there, that we're, there haven't been false prophets, or that there already have been? Then as you said when the tribulation starts, there's going to be. So would that put us in the tribulation? or like?
0: Now, I have a little trouble well? hearing you on that microphone the right way, so clarify that if you can, elisha. What's he asking me?
1: I was kind of listening. He was saying, if there have been false prophets, does that, has that triggered the tribulation? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know what? There are false prophets now. John in uh, 1 John 2 said, You've heard that the Antichrist is coming already. There are many Antichrists. If they were not of us, if they were of us, they would have not have left us. And because they left us, they're not of us. Uh, there's always been false Christs and false prophets there are now. They will be in the beginning of the tribulation. Uh, they will be in the great tribulation. They'll always be. And, you know, one thing you've got to remember, God allows this. If you want to write something down that will fascinate you, write down Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3. Because it says, men will come who will be dreamers. Uh, They will be men that dream and they prophesy. And yet if they say, let us go ask other gods whom you have not known, do not listen to them. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. In other words, he allows false teaching Because he wants to see whether your heart is completely focused on him and the word of God. And you check everything out by the word of God. If somebody doesn't come with the truth of the word, then you deny it. And that's the problem for the world. Antichrist is going to have tremendous power, signs, lying wonders, and everything. Even 2 Thessalonians says that, not just Revelation 13. And people are going to believe it because they're not in the word of God. If they were in the Word of God, they'd be following the Word of God like a road map. We are looking into the future what it says. They'll be reading it. They'll say, what? Guess what? God said the trumpet is going to be blown. And this trumpet has happened. Now the second trumpet has happened. And then the third trumpet. And they're going to see it. And then same thing with the vibes. They're going to see all this stuff. They're going to have plenty of evidence that the Bible is the book to believe, not the Antichrist. And they're going to believe in Antichrist. Or false Christ and other false prophets.
1: Okay, we got a little bit longer. Any more questions? Don't want to cut it off too early. All right. Uh,
0: Question. Now he had his hand up.
2: Oh, sorry. Okay. Wait.
0: Okay. Oh, sorry about that.
2: No, it's all good. Uh, The millennium. um, So there's judgment. In the back half of the tribulation the people in the millennium as i understand it are the returned saints who came revelation 19 i'm not i'm not at my question yet (laughs) hold on Uh, so there's definitely some kind of semi-transformation not new heavens and new earth yet but people are living longer the lion and the lamb and all that kind of stuff but and satan's imprisoned as i understand yeah right it. and
0: i didn't talk about that at all because i could get into a lot of details so okay. i have to put the skeleton out so
2: my confusion then is uh people falling away because all the all the people that were deserving of wrath have received it the people remaining are I, presumably believers okay and then there's still people that are falling away and there's no satan to to tempt them away uh, i'm uh, just wondering what what is that okay actually happening there
0: What's interesting is we know that everybody that enters the millennium, when they live through that period, and they're not judged. as sheep and the goats aspect of this, they're not judged. They go into the millennium. They're righteous. You can't go into the millennium unless you're righteous. What are they going to have when they get in the millennium? They're going to have children. Children still have sin natures, right? The parents have sin natures, but they're righteous. They believe in the Lord, but their children might not necessarily believe. scary. All I ever wanted, Elizabeth wanted, was our kids to know Christ and our grandkids to know Christ. We understand that. So let's say somebody's a secret rebel and they go throughout the entire tribulation. They have a sin nature, but they don't rebel openly. They will probably rebel at the end of the thousand years because that is taught in Revelation 20. There'll be a great rebellion like the sand on the seashore for numbers. But somebody who rebels openly will be accursed and and die at the age of under 100 or 100. Uh, I hope I'm answering the question properly. Do I need more clarification than that? Uh, How do people rebel when there's no tempter? Aha! Because they have this nature. Those children are born just like we're born with a sin nature. I tell you... It's so interesting. All of us has been through this when you start training that little toddler and you tell them something and they understand they're not to do it. You know, don't touch that hot... Well, for us, it was a fireplace or something, a stove or whatever. You tell them, don't do that. And they wait for you to look away and their little sin nature says, I'm going to do what they told me not to do. And so you're going to have people that have a sin nature... And God's going to prove that even without Satan's influence in the world, men still need Christ as a Savior because they are totally depraved. We are totally bankrupt. I am still a sinner. I'm a new creature, but I still have this principle, this nature within me. Paul said it in Romans 7, That which I want to do, I'm not doing. And that which I don't want to do, I'm doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So with my flesh, I, I serve the law of sin, but with my mind, the law of God. Romans 7, 25. I am a wretched man, and you need to realize you're wretched. But thank God for the grace of God. He will complete his salvation in you, and you will stand before the Lord, seeing the Lord just as he is, because you'll be like him. I, I can't wait. I, I can't tell you, I thought it would get better. I thought it. 50 years of being saved, it would get easier. The more I know, the more I know how sinful I really am and how I need Christ in my life. And without him, I'd be in a lot of trouble. And so I I pray a lot. I rejoice a lot. I don't always show the rejoicing, but... I go out on, a, on Monday morning on my day off and I, I go in my man cave and work out in, the, in my gym in the garage and watch TV and, and my mind goes off into just almost weeping. When I see what's happened to my nation, I weep. I pray for our nation. I, I pray for people to come to know Christ. I am so burdened, but most of the time when I'm weeping anymore at my age, I'm weeping out of joy. Thank you, Lord. You took a weak thing a base thing, a thing that was despised to confound the wise. I'm nobody. And a nobody can become somebody in Christ. And it doesn't mean you have all the riches and all the fame and all the fortune, but you know you're secure in Christ, and you have this wonderful relationship with your Savior. He calls us brethren in the book of Hebrews. We're his friends. We better treat him like that. He is my best friend.
3: Hi, uh, thank you so much for your teaching. I'm actually inspired uh, by your love of, of the word. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you, my, my brother. Is, um, um, right now we already lost the, the 10 tribes of Israel. Right. right. Will they be uh, restored in the millennium?
0: Yeah, what's interesting about it, they are so into their genealogies that they're trying to figure out who, wh- what clans are gonna be the priesthood in the future. They're working on all this stuff. But God knows his own people where they are, and they've been scattered all over the earth. One thing about peoples that I've known, uh, we had some Filippo, uh, Filipino people that lived up the street from us, and they love to be within their own culture. Oh, they invite us to dinner, and Indian cultures will do that and everything else, but they love to stay within their culture and marry within their culture as much as possible. You see that all over the world not just in America, so much objection to blacks marrying whites in America and marrying Asians and all this stuff in the past. God made us a beautiful bouquet of flowers. I knew a preacher that was a friend of mine who, he was my black friend. I love him. I miss him to this day. All I can say is, in Christ, all barriers are broken down. And we have this tremendous relationship, but it's like we want to stay within our kind. Sometimes, that's what people do. Not all people, but some people do that. And they get almost prejudiced about it. Well, guess what? The Jewish people are like that. True Jews who are very orthodox, look at the word of God. They want to stay in the tribes of Israel when they marry, the way a Christian wouldn't marry an unbeliever or shouldn't, because the Bible doesn't want us to mix believer with unbeliever, except when an unbeliever comes to know Christ, and then you can marry them, (laughs) You're bound to your uh, your husband as long as he lives, but if he's dead, you're free to be married to whomever you wish, only in the Lord. First Corinthians 7:39. So the Jews want to intermarry within the Jewish race to preserve the race, and and most people are burdened about their. I mean, Ray in his church was showing a film about abortion clinics. Well, guess what they target? They target blacks. Margaret Sanger was a terrible person who who didn't, she was racist, and she wanted to destroy the black culture, and he's weeping in front of me saying, I'm concerned for my people. That's his heritage. My heritage is Norwegian's. You might be German. You might be Heinz 57 like Elizabeth, my wife, which is fine. I like Heinz. I, you know, honey, I mean, you know. Uh, but I'm just saying, most of us are proud of our cultures. My kids aren't all Norwegian, they're about 50 50. They love the idea of being Norwegian. The Jewish people love the idea of being Jewish, and the only thing that's disgusting is liberal Jews within Hollywood. They hate their own people. Very disturbing. Very disturbing. So God knows his people, and he'll gather them together with the greatest regathering from the four winds of heaven and bring them together where they're supposed to be. And the Bible talks about that regathering, and in Matthew, it makes it clear that the angels do that. From all over the world, they gather together the elect. And the context in 24 and 25 is about the Jewish people. You just can't find the church there. You could try and put it there if you want. Say they're elect. Well, the Jews were elect. And the whole essence of everything we've talked about, Matthew 24 and 25, is Jewish it just is. There's no mention of the church, no mention of redemption, none of that, because it's Jewish. And they're going to have to wake up during that time, aren't they, to who the real Messiah is. Somebody else?
3: So continue. Um, uh, so oh, you're going to th- let
0: me continue? <laughs> oh, boy. Look out. Don't say those words. you get into trouble. My wife will tell you.
3: Yeah, so what happened? Um, what are those uh, 144,000 at the beginning of millennium? Are they just the... Uh, the
0: now, you're talking about the beginning of the tribulation, not the millennium. I now keep this in mind. If you learn anything in this conference, just think of it this way: the present age, birth pangs, the rapture of the church. If you want to change where it's put, go ahead, but that's up to you. Then the rapture of the church, the tribulation. First three and a half years, second, great tribulation, last three and a half years, second coming of Christ, millennium, new heavens and new earth. And you throw in the great white throne right at the time of the end of the millennium. If you remember that, you'd be in great shape because that is the skeleton. And believe it or not, most of that skeleton's in Matthew 24. Birth pangs, age we're living in, tribulation, great tribulation, second coming of Christ. You remember that much from Matthew 24, which I gave you a chart? That chart is invaluable. It's simple compared to other charts. It's just meant to tie in Revelation with Matthew 24. So, they witnessed during the first three and a half years of the tribulation, the time of peace and safety that Elisha has mentioned as well.
3: So, there's a, so only, belongs to the, only the 12 tribes are doing the evangelizing. It's what happened to the other Gentile Christians?
0: Well, now remember something. When the 12 tribes are doing the evangelization, it says in that passage that people from every kindred, tribe, nation, and tongue are standing before the throne. They've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Why? Because they believe the witness of the 144,000 in chapter 7. So that means there's going to be people who are Jews and Gentiles who are going to be saved all over the planet, not just Jews. The Jews are going to do what they should have done in the Old Testament. And God's going to have to sovereignly save them. He will seal them with a bond servant of God. As a bondservant of God, I should say. Okay. Difficult stuff, isn't it? I mean, it is a puzzle that needs to be put together. But the pieces are there. And once you start understanding the basic pieces, the whole thing comes together. But there's a lot of pieces. And we haven't even talked about all the pieces That's why I do a study that is 50 minutes, about 50 minutes, maybe an hour, and divide up the book of Revelation. I did this for our son David, who's in Papua New Guinea. We went through chapter 1 to 10 of the book of Revelation in three hours. And he was exhausted by the time I got to chapter 10. I've done four tapes on the book of Revelation. You guys want me to come back someday? You talk to Pastor Elisha and I'll do the book of Revelation in four messages just like this. If you want it. And if he wants it. And he's paying the bill. <laughs> but I'm just saying, I, I'm willing to speak on Bible prophecy because I love it so much. And I love the book of Revelation. And we could just do the book of Revelation. I thought about doing it this time, but I thought, no, I'd like to give the full panorama from other books and But I could have done the book of Revelation, and I I love that book. And it's not that difficult if you start from chapter 1 and go right through. It makes tremendous sense as you're going through. All right, we got another
4: question. Actually, it's not a question. I first would like to thank you for this conference. Um, Something amazing happened last night in our home. Uh, Through this, I don't know exactly what it is that you said, But something stirred in my daughter's heart last night. And she came to realize that the time that she accepted Christ as her personal Savior, it was through fear because of the way prophecy was always taught. So she didn't want to go to hell. But last night you said something that just made it clear in her heart and her mind that her name was not written in the book of life. And last night when we got home, we were talking about it, and her name is now written in the book oh, of life. Oh, man. So thank you for your passion and for the love that you have for God and for all of us. So now my baby girl's going to be up in heaven with all of us. Amen. <laughs>
0: I'll tell you something. The greatest thing that anybody could ever <laughs> give to me as a gift would be somebody's salvation <laughs> pastor teachers we spend so much time with you guys every time i try and witness anymore to anybody and i i'm very loving and come on to let them get to know me most of the time first and use personal evangelism from them knowing me i love to listen to them and everything but every time it seems like somebody will say to me oh pastor i'm backslidden i said oh god I'm talking to believers again. I, I I used to talk to unsaved people when I was young believer so much about Bible prophecy. I'd be talking in vans because I was a, a warehouseman. I was with the Teamsters Union and I was a young believer and I was sharing about Bible prophecy when I was working and really working hard, but people were listening and and, and I know some people eventually got saved and I know one black woman I worked with on a on a, a freight car that she used to listen to me but she didn't. She, I didn't think she'd come to know Christ. I found out she came to know Christ later on. I guess I, I planted the seed and somebody watered it. One woman I worked with said, I don't want to go to heaven. I want to be with all these people I've known in this life in hell. And I said, no, you don't. No, you don't. And I love that woman. But she was persistent about saying that she wanted to be with those in hell because that's the way she'd lived on this, this earth. She didn't want to be with the righteous. And I'm just shaking my head. Uh, as a young man, uh, it's a joy to see somebody come to know Christ. And especially when I know this is hard. My wife says, well, you know, guy, she's given an instruction last night. She's saying, you're getting a little off track once in a while. And, and, and you know, uh, you should do it this way and do it that way. And, and she didn't think I listened to her. But, boy, I took it so seriously today. I tried not to get off track, honey. But I'm just saying it's hard because I am passionate about these things, and I want to tell you as much as I can tell you. and in doing that, I could get away from the skeleton and start adding the meat to the bones. And you need the bones, the skeletal structure, first, so you can put it together. If you don't have the skeleton, you don't have the meat.'ll just have it. It, just, it you'd make a monster out of biblical prophecy. That's what you'd do.